I want to show you something to continue your education in 90s TV shows, okay? So last night we heard about Seinfeld and Friends, and today it's uh, The Simpsons, okay? So... Good afternoon and welcome to the Do What You Feel Festival. By the way, this young lady is not my wife, but I am sleeping with her. I'm telling you this because I'm comfortable with my womanizing. Yeah! To usher in this new era of feeling good is the uh, godfather of soul, James Brown. feel like it. Hey, I hear you, buddy. Uh, I don't want to judge the rightness of your ego orientation, but my inner critic says you should have done your job. Hey, now, Marge, let's not should this fella to death. Yeah, next you'll be laying a guilt trip on me for not oiling that Ferris wheel. spirit of the occasion, I must tell you what I think. You two screwed up, Royal. You know, I really don't feel like being blamed. I feel that you should shut up. Uh, you know you really irritate me, Skinner. What with your store-bought haircut and excellent posture. Mister, I can't stand the sound of your voice. Oh, really? Oh, oh now, now, there's no need to resort to violence. Oh, I sure there is. <laughs> Gracious Father God, we know, um, as Miriam shared with us, we know that this is revealed from you grace and truth that comes through your son jesus it's not made by people so please open this truth and grace to our hearts that we would know and see jesus clearly and turn to him and live for him in his name amen uh, last night we explored the first two topics relating to community uh, god made us for community but we broke that community because of our sin and today we're looking at how much we need truth and grace in community. And Jesus brings both truth and grace to us. Uh, last Sunday, the Victorian government released a roadmap for us out of lockdown. It's a roadmap designed to sustain the health system, but it also recognises the negative impact that lockdown is having on so many in our society. But more than ever, there are increasing divisions in our community. People who are pro-government will say that the uh, government have done a marvellous job and others who are anti-government uh, say they've done a terrible job and there's everyone else in between. There's anti-vaxxers described as crazy conspiracy theorists and then there's pro-vaxxers de described as mindless sheep who believe anything anyone tells them. Sub-communities within our community are becoming more entrenched as time goes on. There's increasing anger, increasing fear and division. And that's just not in the wider community, but also in the Christian community. Some say the church should defy the government uh, restrictions and they should meet still. 
Some say the church should obey the government. You don't have to spend much time on Facebook Facebook to see how much heat there is in all of this. What do we need to do if we're seeking to rebuild our community? We need truth and grace. Two points I want to make today. Truth and grace matter in community, and truth and grace come through Jesus Christ. Well, firstly, truth and grace matter in community. Truth matters because trust matters. If you want to have a healthy, functioning community, well, truth does matter because truth is the basis of trust. And trust is necessary in all relationships. How can I depend on you and you on me if we don't know if we're reliable and trustworthy? But who gets to determine who truth, what truth is, especially in an age when truth is relative? What's true for you may not be true for me, says our age. Your truth is whatever you feel it is, as long as our truth doesn't hurt anyone else. As I showed you, that's one of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons. The whole town of Springfield decides to adopt Bart Simpson's motto, do what you feel like. It all culminates in the do what you feel like festival. Everything is going fine until a grandstand collapses, injuring everyone. And the maintenance guy is questioned about not doing his job. And he says, I didn't feel like it. And Marge Simpson says angrily to him, I don't want to judge the rightness of your ego orientation, but my inner critic says you should have done your job, only to have Ned Flanders correct her, saying, Marge, uh, let's not should this fella to death. In minutes, the town is in complete chaos. You see, I think when truth is relative, inevitably people get hurt. I think it's funny that in an age of relative truth, during this pandemic, we've been told that truth matters and absolute truth matters. All of us need to stand together on such practices as social distancing and face masks and travel restrictions. In fact, if we don't adhere to these truths, we face judgment in the form of public shaming through media or hefty fines from the police. And I think for a culture as individualistic and autonomous as we are here in Australia, these things have been very hard for us to take. Don't tell me what I should do. Stop imposing your truth on me. So I think it's very confusing at the moment. In our society, we live by the anthem, do what you feel. Truth is relative. Don't judge anyone for their choices. But now we hear a different cry, live by the truth. Otherwise, we will judge you. What's the way forward? Well, the Bible's starting point is that truth is absolute. Truth is not relative. Truth is not what we decide. In fact, we're measured against the truth. Truth is revealed to us from God through Jesus. Jesus said these well-known verses in John 14. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying that the only way to have a relationship with God is through him. Uh, these, day, uh, these words have been seen as highly offensive of Jesus. How dare he be so exclusive as to claim truth? But I, I invite you to test Jesus' claim on truth by looking at his life. Remember what I said, truth matters because 
trust matters. You know why you will find it hard to trust me or anyone else for that matter? Because eventually at some point, you will find out that I'm a liar and a hypocrite about something. And I think the same applies to you. Eventually, you will also be a liar and a hypocrite about something. I invite you to read one of the Gospels of Jesus and see, test him, to see if the things that he says are consistent with the way that he lives and the things that he claims. I think you'll see that Jesus is the truth. He is completely trustworthy, just as God is trustworthy. Truth matters to God because justice matters to God. God made the world and he made us for community, but God also expects accountability in community. Justice is a characteristic of God. God is righteous in all his dealings with us. It's only fair then that he appoints someone to judge, and that is Jesus. In Acts 17, verse 30, Paul says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he is Saturday when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Truth matters to God, so everyone will face this day of judgment. And while that is something that people find objectionable about Christianity, imagine a world without justice, where corruption and violence and negligence had no consequences. You see, truth matters to our community here. That's why we set up royal commissions and judicial inquiries. That's why we have a justice system and courts and lawyers and VCAP. It's extremely comforting that God appoints Jesus as the judge. You see, unlike sinful people, Jesus is not inconsistent. He's righteous. He knows the truth. No secrets are hidden from him. And he's impartial. He's not prone to being bought off or biased. He's blameless. He's not corrupt. And he has a right to judge because he's the truth. But not only does truth matter, but grace also matters. You see, grace matters because of who we are. In recent years, we've seen the rise of cancel culture. That's where someone is outed by the community as being offensive in some way, whether that's racist or sexist or something else which the community finds offensive. Perpetrators are named, shamed, and then they're boycotted. They're effectively kicked out of professional and social circles. In other words, they're cancelled. And statues of historical figures have been torn down for their past sins. Celebrities and high-profile figures have been shamed online. And cancel culture has been seen as something empowering, empowering to victims against their abusers in a collective voice. It's a good thing to call out sinful behavior, but there's a dark side to cancel culture. And I think people are starting to notice this. What if you're on the receiving end? What if you're the one defined by your past? What if all your mistakes and your indiscretions and your secret sins were displayed in front of everyone? And what if you were named and shamed and then canceled by your community? You see, the trouble is, 
all of us are guilty when measured against the truth. Paul says in Romans 3, verse 22, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The objective standard, the measure of truth that all of us are compared to is God himself. And all of us, all of us fall short like an arrow missing its mark. We miss the mark because of our sin. We saw that in yesterday's talk. We are broken by our sin. We, we say no to God. And not only do we reject the truth, we live by our own truth. And let's be honest, we even fail to live up to our own standard of truth. We stand before Jesus, the judge, guilty. We ought to be cancelled, cast out from God's community. Our only hope is grace. Grace in the Bible is God's undeserved kindness, his favour. And grace often goes hand in hand with mercy. You see, mercy is often described as not getting what you deserve from God, condemnation. And grace is described as getting what you don't deserve, which is the righteousness of Jesus. Grace matters to guilty people like us because all sinners need God's undeserved kindness. Well, grace matters because of who God is. The Bible is clear, as we've heard, that God is full of justice. He's a holy God who stands for truth and there's no sin in God. In fact, God ought to cancel sinners. But the Bible shows us that grace is a defining characteristic of God. In the Old Testament, the Israelites committed a terrible idolatry at, at Mount Sinai. While Moses was with God on the mountain, God's people made a golden calf and worshipped that instead of worshipping God. And God's angry. He's angry enough to wipe them out from history. He's about to cancel them, but he relents and he says this to Moses in Exodus 34. And he passed it in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This description of God is used in a number of different places in the Old Testament. God could have and should have cancelled out the Israelites because of their repeated sin uh, against him. But he doesn't. He is the God of grace and mercy. And not only to them, but to us. God shows everyone his common grace, it's described as. Regardless of whether you believe in him or not, God is still kind towards you. And the very fact of our lives is evidence of this, isn't it? Every beat of our hearts, every breath of our lungs, every drop of rain that falls is a gracious gift of our creator. Think about all the gifts that you enjoyed before COVID and, and took for granted. Freedom to travel, to work, to eat in restaurants, health, friends and family that you could see at any time. Each and every one of these things were gifts from God, not entitlements, gifts of grace. But God shows us his grace in an even more pointed way through his son, Jesus. Truth and grace come through Jesus. This is our second point of the talk. Jesus is truth because of who he is, the eternal word who created the world, John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was 
God and the Word was with God. He was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In the book of Genesis, before anything was in existence, before God said, "Let there be light," before He brought something out of nothing, Jesus was there. In fact, Jesus was the Word. That was bringing reality into existence. So reality is defined by Jesus. What is true in this world is defined by Jesus, our Creator. He made everything, He made us. But how did we respond to the truth? Verse 9 the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize him. Jesus didn't come into a, a thankful and receptive world, but a world that rejected him. A world in darkness hates being exposed by the light. We don't like being exposed by the truth. Uh, last year, after the mishandling of hotel quarantine by the government and many weeks of lockdown, there was clearly anger being directed at the government and, and a demand for accountability, which is why we had an inquiry and it's why some people in the government lost their jobs. Here's a sign that someone posted in their garden in my neighbourhood about our Premier. Dan, you can't handle the truth. Accountability matters, doesn't it? Because truth matters. But, but we have an interesting relationship with the truth, don't we? We always want others measured up against the truth. But I think all of us struggle to have that same truth applied to us. We're ready to reject others when they fail to measure up. But what if that same measure was used against us? How would we feel then? That's why Jesus is also confronted. Jesus is the light of truth. And the light that gives life to all is also the light that exposes the darkness in our lives. And we find that very unsettling. Why could Jesus say that he is the truth, the only way to God his Father? Because Jesus is the Son of the Father. John 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In one sentence, John makes a stunning statement. The creator became, became a creature. The one who made us became one of us. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. We see something of the magnificence of God. Truth from God is not at arm's length. Many have that view that God is distant and impersonal, but God didn't send a PR person to reveal himself. He sent his one and only son into the world. God's truth is close and personal. In the Old Testament, when God revealed his glory to Moses, Moses was at risk of being consumed by God's glory. So God shielded Moses from experiencing the fullness of his glory. How could a sinner experience the glory of God and survive? But in John, we're, we're seeing something even more glorious than what Moses saw. How is that possible? 
because Jesus is both truth and grace. Verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. God's Old Testament law is truth, and truth only points out your guilt when you break the commands of the law. God's law is not able to bring us into right relationship with God. We need more than truth. We also need grace. In Jesus, we find this grace. John makes a point of saying that God's grace, his undeserved kindness is abundant. Grace in place of grace already given. God is not stingy towards undeserving sinners like us. We see this grace in the love that God has shown to the world in sending Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God loves the world that hates Jesus. If Jesus was just truth, he would condemn the world. But Jesus is also grace. So he loves the world that is guilty for hating him. And in the ministry of Jesus, you see both truth and grace. Jesus was truth when he confronted the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Jesus preached about truth. Uh, Jesus preached about hell more than he preached about heaven. Jesus didn't pull his punches when he told the rich ruler that he had to give up everything in order to follow him. Jesus followed the law by keeping the law's commands. Jesus is all truth. But Jesus is also grace. He's grace when he ate with the tax collectors and sinners, even when others shunned them. Jesus welcomed children and touched lepers who others had no time for. Jesus uh, welcomed women with dignity who were treated as inferior. He welcomed the hardened criminal into paradise, dying on the cross next to him. Jesus is all grace. And the truth and grace of Jesus finds its ultimate expression in the cross. The glory of God, the Father and the Son in all its fullness. This is what Jesus prayed the, uh, about the hour of his death, the night before he died in John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Why is the cross so glorious? You know, normally someone might think that the cross is the great defeat of what you believe. But in the cross, we see the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace. God's commitment to the truth means he must punish sin. But God's commitment to grace means that he loves sinners and wants to forgive them. How can he do both? By punishing sin on the cross so that he can show his grace in forgiving sinners. Through the death of Jesus, sin is cancelled and not the sinner. God's just anger is satisfied by the death of Jesus. 
it's very hard, isn't it, to find both truth and grace in a relationship. Usually we get one or the other. You see, truth without grace, it's like the blow of a hammer, isn't it? We're being told something harsh and someone says it's for our own good, but it just feels like you're being pounded. Someone's just getting something off their chests. But grace without truth, it's soft and indulgent, isn't it? People tell you what you want to hear. It sounds nice, but what if what I'm doing is actually killing me? Grace without truth is a kindness that slowly kills, like eating a diet of marshmallows. Jesus is not either or. Jesus is both and, truth and grace. And the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us we are wrong, but that we are loved. And that's why we need truth and grace. This is how uh, Tim Keller puts it. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Truth. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. Grace, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I don't know how many relationships uh, you have where someone sees you at your very worst and gives you their very best. And that is exactly what Jesus does. This is the cross of Christ. This is the good news of Christ. This is why every single one of us needs the truth and grace of Jesus. Have you ex ever experienced truth and grace? If not, Jesus invites you to come to him. And not just once, but to keep coming back to his truth and grace. Keeping your eyes fixed on the cross of Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus, well, you need to show this truth and grace to others. In fact, every time we share the gospel with someone, we are sharing a message of truth and grace. You're a sinner, truth. God welcomes sinners, grace. In fact, God's people should be a community of both truth and grace. Okay, I want you to write two sentences down, two sentences that will help us rebuild as we come out of lockdown, two sentences that would revolutionize our relationship with God and with others. Are you ready? Here they are. Write them down now. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. You're wrong. And I love you. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. This is a statement that recognizes when you fail to live up to the truth. But it's also humble enough to seek grace. This is how every Christian begins the Christian life, begins their relationship with Jesus. And that is how we also should relate to each other. Each month with the Lord's Supper, this is the meal that reminds us to keep saying to God and to each other, I'm wrong, please forgive me. So often the thing we hear when someone does the wrong thing is this, I'm not wrong. I'm not sorry, or, or this one, you know, the fake apology. I'm sorry that you feel this way. 
These are proud, defensive statements designed to protect yourself. And this should not be the way for the people of Jesus. We surrender our pride. We recognize that we're liars, that we're hypocrites. And we need to keep learning to say, I'm wrong. Please forgive me. I want you to think of a relationship where you need to say those words to someone. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. Truth and grace like that can transform a relationship. Ask God for strength to go and say it to that person. You're wrong and I love you. This is a statement that recognizes truth. You're wrong, but it doesn't give up on the person. That's grace. So often the message we hear in our cancel culture is this. You're wrong and I hate you. Every time someone writes an anger-filled comment online, every time someone issues a hateful expletive at a politician, every time someone yells at a driver on the road, every time someone refuses to forgive someone who is sorry, that is proud, that is attacking. Or we hear this statement, you're right and I love you, when deep down we actually know they're wrong. That's a lie, isn't it? It's not the truth, and it's not good for the other person. The thing that Jesus did so well in his ministry to others is that he could say to people, you're wrong, but I love you all the time. This was what Jesus' ministry was all about. He told people they needed to repent and turn to him. In other words, you're sinful. In other words, you're wrong. You're doing the wrong thing. You need forgiveness. You need to change. But at the same time, he would do that with tears of love in his eyes. He would do that with compassion for people who hated him. He would do that with the eagerness to forgive and welcome people to him. And he was even willing to pay the cost of that forgiveness on the cross. Such truth and grace should be the way the people of the cross for we know the comfort of our savior jesus who said to us you're wrong and i love you this is truth and grace isn't it learn how to say you're wrong and i love you now think of someone you know who is sinning against god and ask god for the strength to say to them with gentleness and love you're wrong and i love you Think of someone you disagree with on Facebook. Before you write anything on their post, say out loud, you're wrong and I love you. Then ask God for wisdom and love to respond. Vaccines, lockdowns, the role of government, the relationship of the church to the state. These are important issues that are currently being discussed in the wider community, in the church. We should be talking about them. And these are issues where we can show love for our neighbor or not. These are issues that can divide brothers and sisters in churches or bring them together. We should be having the conversations, but how do we have a way forward? Regardless of what position you hold on these issues, the next time you go into one of these conversations, remember truth and grace. Be prepared to use those two statements in your conversation. I'm wrong.
please forgive me. You're wrong and I love you. Truth and grace matter. In our community, truth and grace come through Jesus and we need his truth and grace and we need to show his truth and grace. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that in Jesus we see both truth and grace. Uh, we need both. We know that accountability and justice and righteousness is good and yet we're so aware that we fall short. We're sinful. We desperately need your grace. Uh, thank you, Father, that you want us to be people who reflect Jesus to others. We pray that you might help us to do that within our churches, but also to the wider community, that they might see the glory of Jesus and turn to him and experience it for themselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.